Thanks for having me again here. Um, I know it wasn't your choice, but <laughs> what are you going to do? The text for today comes from the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 3, and we're going to be reading for, from verses 1 through 14. I'm going to put the verses on the screen, but also we provided for you the page number if you want to follow along in the Bible that we provide for you here. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 14. You foolish Galatians, who bewitched you before your very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified? I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After being by means after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again I ask, does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and He was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then, those who have faith are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Um, Around the, the years 1800s, there was a famous man known. Uh, his name was Charles Blodin. I'm assuming that you never heard of that man before. Um, it, it was a man known because uh, he was an expert walking or, or performing in a tightrope. In a tightrope, he was a tightrope walker. Um, his number one skill, if you will, was to go across the Niagara Falls several times a day. So confident uh, he become with this gift he had that he would do that backwards and forwards. He would perform various tricks. Uh, like he was sitting a, in, a, in a little small tool. He would eat his lunch while standing there. Uh, but the most famous trick, when, when he, he would ask a volunteer to be... Um, to, be, to go on his back and be carried by him. Um, people consider that that was his most supreme act because um, it required a lot. It required a lot of faith 
and the man that is going on his back, and it requires a lot of strength on his part. Now, let's pretend, this is all true, by the way, but let's pretend for a second that I am that volunteer. Uh, and let's pretend for a second that I trust this man and I start, I, you know, I leap on his back and we start walking across this thing. But right in the middle of the rope, right, be, right between, in the middle between going to the other side, I stop the guy and I say, you know, could you please hold on a second? Um, I know that you're good and you've done this a lot of times, but can you just let me down? And he's like, Why? I don't know, for some reason, I stopped trusting you. I, I, I think I could do it by myself. Could you please let me down? Now, if that would be true, which it wasn't because I wouldn't be here right now, but if that would be true, what would you think of me? Would you, would you think that I'm crazy? Would you think that there would be something wrong with me that somehow I stopped trusting the expert and they start trusting me. Would you, would you think that I'm acting foolish? Would you think that I'll be a fool? Yeah, thanks for, yeah, thanks for supporting that. <laughs> All of that. But the idea is that, yeah, it is. You know, there's an old version of this text that we just read in which the author changes the word fool because that's the word Paul uses. And replaces the, and he puts the word idiot. Oh dear, you idiots. The whole idea here is that Paul is confronting this group of people that for some reason stopped trusting God, stopped trusting what the gospel does, stopped trusting what Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection, and they started to trust themselves. Started to rely on themselves and their abilities and the things that they could do. And Paul would look at them and say, Oh, you fools. Oh, you beautiful and dear idiots. See, when Paul uses two different words to describe this kind of behavior, he calls means of flesh or rely on the law. This is the idea that we have here a group of people. You got to listen to this because we have a group of people here that do not have any kind of issues with the gospel. They believe that Jesus is the son of God. They believe that Jesus lived the life that no one had lived. They believe that Jesus went to the cross to die for their sins. They believe that Jesus was everything people say that he was. But the problem was that they did not believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ was enough. That was the problem. The problem was not with Jesus or the gospel. The problem was that for some reason the gospel was simply not enough. They, they either were trying to add something to the gospel or to subtract something from the gospel. To add something to the gospel means that if Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is not enough, then I have to do something extra. But to subtract from the gospel is to not really believe and trust that what Jesus did is enough, not only for the forgiveness of sins, but to fulfill my most deepest desires. Now, I think that that's true for many of us, including me, today. We have no issues with Jesus whatsoever. We have no issues with the gospel. We have issues when we think that it's either not enough 
or that we could add something to it. Now, the message today is actually, is not about something that you never heard before. Actually, you prob- probably heard it the last three weeks here. Um, and Iglesia, we're doing the same series. So we, we gotta, I think that in order for us to actually internalize the gospel more, we need three words. We need to understand three words. The word faith, the word justification, and the word redemption. All these three words appear in the text. The word faith, the word justification, and the word redemption. Now, let me tell you why we have to talk about the things that you already heard. One of the things that you learn about the gospel, uh, about Galatians, is that Paul says, says something, and then he repeats it, and he repeats it again, and he explains it in a different way, and he repeats it again, and again, and again, and again. It seems like if he only has one message... So if you're one of those believers that come to church and say, man, hopefully I get to hear something new, you are not going to like that letter. (laughs) My conviction is this, that the gospel is something like a vending machine. I use this illustration all the time. If If you go to a vending machine and you put a little coin in it, right, you expect for your whatever you pay for it to come down and you receive it, right? But sometimes... You put the coin, and the chips never drop. Now, if you're spiritual like me, you will do what I do. I bang the thing until I get my chips. (laughs) That's what spiritual people would do. The gospel is like that. You need to bang it as many times as you have to until it falls down into your heart. When it moves from your head as a theological concept into your heart. That's why we need to talk about faith and justification and redemption. Ready? Let's talk about faith. Look at the first one. The word faith and believe appears 10 times in 14 verses in this section. It appears in verse 2 and in verse 14 when it says that the believer received the spirit because they believed the gospel. In verse 5, it says that the Spirit worked miracles among believers when they heard the gospel and they believed it. In verses 6 and 9, it says that Abraham was a man that believed in God and was a man of faith. In verses 7, he says that everyone that believes like Abraham believed is called children of Abraham, faith. In verse 8, says that Gentiles could only be justified by faith. Verse 9 calls us to rely on faith. Verse 11 calls that the righteous lives by faith. That's a very important one. And verse 12, it says that the law is not based on faith. Now, for obvious reasons, I think that we got to consider that he's interested in us getting a good definition of what faith is and what faith is not. And this is the reason why I think it's so important. Many of us, even here today, even if you're a Christian already, there's this tendency to think that faith is something that we have, that the more we have it or the better we have it, the more we would embrace and love God. Actually, some of us believe that it was It was because of our faith that we came into salvation. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says that faith is not about you and me. Faith is about God. Not only he gives the gift of faith, 
But it's not the power of our faith that comes into our relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's the object of our faith, what changes. And that's why he uses the example of Abraham. In verse 6 says that Abraham believed God, and he was credited to him as righteousness. Notice that Paul doesn't say, you know what, Christians, WBC people, be like Abraham. Believe like Abraham believed. He doesn't say that. That text is coming from Genesis 15. I don't know if you remember this, but the Lord calls Abraham, and he gives, he promised a son, and he says that from that son, he will have thousands and thousands of people coming after him. And Paul says, just like Abraham believed God, we ought to believe God. It is not about the quality of your faith, and it is not about the quantity of your faith. It's about the object of our faith. I don't know if you ever heard this before, but in my context, I hear all the time people saying, you pray to be healed. And if you don't get healed, it was because you did not pray enough. You lacked faith. Did you know that's anti-biblical? That's not biblical. God calls us to believe in him, to rely on him. The text that we read uses the word rely in two different occasions. Either we rely on faith, that means in him, or we rely on the law, but you cannot have them both. To rely is to press, is to, is to uh, place your trust in God. I don't know about you, but that gives me a lot of freedom. Because I am a man of little faith. But I'm a man of little faith with a great, amazing, powerful, amazing God. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. The best illustration that I've heard is from D.A. Carson. Uh, so I'm going to adapt it um, so we could just bring it here. But he explains um, how in Exodus 12... Uh, you remember when the Israelites are coming out of Egypt and God sends all these plagues. Remember that? Uh, and he sends all these plagues and he kills a bunch of things and he does a lot of stuff. But then at the end, he gives the Israelites one specific instruction. He tells them that at night, an angel of death will come and kill all the first kids, all the firstborns. But the way in which the Israelites were going to save themselves from that was to kill an animal, right, and then paint the doors and the sides, and at night the angel would see that blood and it's passed over that so they wouldn't be killed. Now let's stop there for a second, and let's imagine two men there. First name, his name is Pepe. Now, because we've got to keep the multicultural thing going. <laughs> the second person is Paco, Pepe Paco. You got it? <laughs> Pepe. He's a man of faith, quality of faith and quantity of faith. And he's all excited about this for some reason. He's going to Paco and saying, I can't wait to see what tonight is going to happen. I fully trust the Lord that he's going to save us and redeem us. I fully trust him because I got to see everything else that he did before. And inside of us, everyone, oh, man, I wish I would be Pepe. But then we got Paco. 
which is a man full of fears. He goes to Pepe and says, I don't know, man. Aren't you afraid? Pepe's like, no. I'm a man of faith. And Paco is like, I don't know, man. I'm scared. But they both follow God's instructions. And they both painted doors. So here's a question for you. Who got saved that night? Both. You know why? Because it wasn't about the quality or the quantity of their faith. It was about this amazing, merciful God that will pass over them. And in that they trusted. That's what it is for us today. It's trusting that the gospel is enough. It's trusting in him, his power, his glory, his mercy, his grace. It's not about our faith. It's our faith in him. Now, Paul knows that we need to hear that over and over again. Because we struggle with faith. We doubt. Don't you doubt? We're scared. It's part of being humans. If you're never scared, you're not a human. But we don't trust our faith. We don't have faith in faith. You understand that? We do not have faith in faith. We have faith in him. That's the difference. The gospel is about having faith in him. Not only we need to understand faith and live by faith, but we also need to understand the word justification. One of the most important words in the Bible. Now, you see the word justification explained in different ways in three verses specifically. Verse 6, it says that Abraham believed God and he was credited to him as righteousness. In verse 8 says that a scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And in verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. And in those three verses, we see two things about justification. One, what justification is. And two, what justification does. One, what justification is. And second, why is it that we need justification? So I think that the first one is really simple. To be justified means that God gave us what Jesus deserved. That's why he uses the word credited. It's when you get credit for something that you did not work for, when you get credit for something that you did not do. Let's say that you have zero zero money in your account, and tomorrow you got a billion. That's what that means. Theologians call this imputation. God, because of what Jesus Christ did, imputed to you what Jesus deserved. Some other theologians call this double imputation. God imputes to you what Jesus deserved, while Jesus, it's imputed what will deserved. It's an amazing word. It's an amazing concept. 
Not only you are credited for something that you did not deserve or you did not earn, but you're declared righteous. The word righteous, the best explanation I have is you get to be right with God and right with others. It's like if you actually fulfill all Ten Commandments. It's just, if you actually love, if, if, it was almost like if you actually love God with all your mind, soul, and strength. And others as yourself. That's what it means. That when God looks at you in faith, you, he doesn't see you as you alone. He sees you as perfect and righteous and beautiful, regardless of where you are. Now, listen, I, I don't think I just told you something that you never heard before. The problem with justification is not the definition, people. You heard that from Pastor Lyon last week. The problem is not with justification. The theological concept of justification, the problem is that it's so good, so amazing, so powerful, so beautiful, that we just can't believe it. It's too good to be true. Too good to be true. But let me tell you why justification is not only needed for your salvation, but justification is needed so you get to live your Christian life. Ages ago, a duke called George of Saxony said this about the doctrine of justification. Oh, great doctrine to die by, but a lousy one to live with. I don't think he ever understood that. I don't think he ever understood what justification was. In his mind, justification was good because he kept you from hell. But it was not good enough to influence everything that you do in your life. And I completely disagree with him. And I'll prove it to you. The only way that you could deal with your self-righteousness... It's through justification where you really believe in that. Because you don't have to try to keep doing things to try to be right with God because you're already right with God in Jesus Christ. And you don't have to try to do, be right with everybody and be accepted by everybody because you have been already accepting Jesus Christ. You cannot live your Christianity without justification. Either you will be full of pride or full of guilt. That will be, the word justification is important because that will be the only way that you could actually kill this unquenchable desire to be in control. Do you know why many of us struggle with being in control? Because if we are in control, then we feel that we are somebody, somebody. That might be the reason why many of us, I'm not saying everyone here, probably everyone outside this room, are obsessed with age, man. How many of you guys are 40 and up? Please raise your hand. Yeah, that's for all of us. <laughs> man, how do I keep young? It's all right if you go to the gym and maybe, maybe, I'm not saying it's okay, but maybe a plastic surgery every now and then. That might be the reason why many of us struggle so much with money and we pursue beauty and we care so much about intelligence or good health or fame 
That might be the reason why we can't stop working when we can. Because we think that if we have all of those things, then we are somebody. We have been justified. The only way you learn to stop is when you understand that you have been justified. Nothing else to earn. And you cannot lose anything at all. The foolishness about pursuing things is that none of those things are sustainable or permanent. Doesn't matter how many plastic surgeries you have, you still grow old. You still fall apart, you know? I feel that I'm falling apart already. Without the word justification, it's, important, it's, it's impossible for you to be free of your reputation. What is there anything we need to prove? Without the word justification, it's impossible. It's impossible for you to be broken in front of people and be vulnerable in front of people. It's simply impossible. I don't want you to see my messiness. You don't want me to see your messiness. But if you've been accepted, who cares? Without the word justification, it is impossible to stop always trying to be right. This is a personal one for me, and I shared this with my congregation last week, but I realized that it's one of those things that I fight for all the time to be right. This is the thing. Uh, one of the things that uh, Pastor uh, Rob and I share is that we love books. And we talk about books all the time, and we read, and it's almost like a competition. I'm always winning, but it's almost like a competition. <laughs> Let me tell you why I said that sentence that I didn't say in the service before. It's because I realized, God showed me this, that one of the reasons why I want to read a lot is because I want to equip myself to do my job well. While at the same time, I want to do that to prove something to people. I got something to say. And this is a problem with that, that, that creates in me a sense of super, superiority. But I cannot feel myself superior to anybody while at the same time I feel that they're inferior. I cannot do both. So if I'm right, listen to me, if I'm right then, I will never be humble and I will never be teachable because I'm right. Like, listen, you don't, you don't have nothing to say to me. I don't have to listen to you because I'm right. I got the right to complain because I'm right. I get to boast because I'm the right one. I get to defend myself even if I'm guilty. You know why? Because you're wrong and I'm right. I get to attack you and accuse you whenever I want. You know why? Because you're wrong and I'm right. I get to be harsh with you because you need my rightness. I get to be critical because I'm right. I get to gossip because I know how to fix people. You know why? Because I'm right. You see that we cannot live without justification. Either we rely and trust in that justification or you're going to spend the rest of your life trying to justify your existence. You remember the movie, probably didn't watch it, but you remember the movie Creed? 
It's a really lame movie, so don't watch it. But <laughs> it's the story of Rocky Balboa, like when you know when he's really aged, and now he's a trainer and a mentor to his best friend's kid. The his friend's Apollo Creed. Remember that? It's PG-13, so you don't need to be offended by that. Right at the end of the movie, there's this scene in which the kid is being destroyed. And Rocky, well, well, is about to throw the towel so the, stop, so the fight will stop. And the kid says, don't stop the fight. He says, why? The other guy. <laughs> I should be an actor. <laughs> don't stop the fight. And then he says, because I, you stop the fight, and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't get to prove that I am somebody. You know how many times we kill ourselves trying to prove that we're somebody when if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are somebody. You are somebody. That changes everything. That changes everything. Listen, I got so many struggles, but one of the struggles that the Lord got rid of from my heart is that I'm not impressed by crowds. I could preach the same message with the same energy to 10 than to 1,500. But that happened only when I got the gospel. When I got the gospel. Justification is important. Faith is important. Justification is important. And just as important is redemption. And in this we're going to go really quick. Because redemption appears two different times. In verses 13 and 14. And this is the idea. He's talking about redemption in the context of the curse of the law. Now, you need to understand this because when the Bible talks about law and the curse of the law, it's not saying that the law is evil. The law cannot be evil because the law is an expression or manifestation of God's glory, God's goodness, God's holiness, God's character. So Paul is not arguing against the law of God. His argument is that the law does not have the power to save you. Actually, the law has the power to condemn you. Who can really fulfill God's laws? Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mountain? The first thing that Jesus says is, do not be angry. Half of this room is already condemned by it. So that's not what Paul is saying. The law is good. But not for salvation. That's why we need redemption. And the word redemption can be translated in, two diff- in three different ways. It means to buy. It means to pay the price. And it means to deliver. Meaning that Jesus Christ bought us by his blood. Paid the price of our sin. The consequences of our sin. And deliver us from the guilt that he was controlling our lives. And with this I finish. Redemption is extremely important because you have to keep in mind that unless you remember that you were bought, that you were purchased, that the price was paid and that you had been delivered, you could never live in peace. 
Now, this is the thing. That every time you read scripture, the law tells you something different. And your conscience tells you something different. So let me finish this by reading a quote by Martin Luther. A guy that has struggled with his conscience all his life. And he learned to pray in such a way that his conscience could not control him. And he could actually live for God. Look at what he says. You want to climb up into the kingdom of my conscience, do you, Lord? You want to reign over it and reprove sin and take away the joy I have by faith in Christ and drive me to desperation. Keep within your bounds and exercise your power of the flesh, but do not touch my conscience. By the gospel, I am called to share righteousness and everlasting life. I am called to Christ's kingdom where my conscience is at rest and there is no law but rather forgiveness of sins, peace, quietness, joy, health, and everlasting life. Do not trouble me in these matters, for I will not let an intolerable tyrant like you reign in my conscience, which is the temple of Christ, the Son of God. He is the King of righteousness and peace. My sweet Savior and mediator, he will keep my conscience joyful and quiet in the sound, pure doctrine of the gospel. When I have this righteousness reigning in my heart, I descend from heaven like the rain that makes the earth fertile. That is to say, I come out into another kingdom and I do good works whenever I have a chance. Notice that in one prayer, he describes the gospel as the thing that gives you freedom from guilt and the power to live for him. Faith, justification, and redemption. Do you have that? Do you believe like that? Today is the day to do it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is not one person in this room, including me, that we're not struggling with sin or guilt or pride or trying to justify ourselves in many different ways. But the beautiful news of the gospel is that we have placed our faith not in us but in you, the one that did it all. The beautiful news of justification, the one that tells us that we have been accepted and loved and forgiven and that you see us as righteous people in Jesus Christ. And that we have been redeemed. That we are bought by you, pay the price of our consequence, and you have given us freedom. Freedom in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we get to live for you like that. And I pray, Lord, that you bring people to salvation today. Do something wonderful in us and through us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.